0: Let's uh, pray together. Uh, Father, we, we have prayed these words. Um, now we've just heard these words read. And again, with a portion of scripture that perhaps is very familiar to many of us, um, words that we pray each week here at Trinity, would you help us to... Um, hear your word with fresh ears. Holy Spirit, would you bring your word to bear on our lives uh, that we would see things of the glories of Jesus, of, of the goodness of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of, of who we are and, and what you've called us to in this world. Would you lead us? Um, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, before I was a rogue, illegit pastor in Illinois, (laughs) Jeff didn't say that in the first service. There must be something about the recording that he's, (laughs) anyways, um, I was in Delaware, as I think a lot of you know, Um, I've talked about this a few times before, but uh, doing a ministry called RUF. Uh, campus ministry and the first six months that Aaron and I lived in Delaware we were living in the church house the church that supported the ministry had a had a house and we lived there on the church property and not long after moving in I noticed uh mountain bikers that would come through the church parking lot and they'd head into this really dense forest uh, that was behind our house and the church. And then we would notice cars, you know, showing up in the church parking lot in very not normal church times. So Thursday morning at 11 or something like that, there would be cars at the very end and then hikers would go off into the woods. So I wanted to see what was going on. I wanted to check out the trails. So I went one day and then started trail running and These trails, I mean, the first one, you know, led me into the forest and I was weaving around trees and uh, Delaware is very hot. It's kind of like Atlanta, if you've ever been to Atlanta in the summer. It's humid, it's really hot, but covered in the canopy of the trees. It's like at least 15 degrees cooler, and it's marvelous, and there's nature, and it's great. And then I noticed that there's more trails, not just the one, but there's these intricate group of trails. And so I would run those, and I would see the forest from these different angles and these different perspectives, and I'd run by a stream from one trail next to me, and then I'd take another trail, and there would be this great little bridge that would go over the stream, and it it was great. Uh, I'm telling you all of this because when I think about the Lord's Prayer— I think about that forest. And there are a few reasons why. Um, Prayer in general, I think for many of us, can be hard. Perhaps it's hard to uh, spend the time praying, um, hard to find time to pray regularly. If you do pray regularly, maybe you sometimes feel like, I don't even know what to pray for. Or you have your list, your mental list, or your actual list, and you're kind of praying through that, but then you do that for five days in a row and you start to feel like, This is kind of the same thing that I'm saying over and over and over again. The Lord's Prayer is really helpful here because you could think of it like a framework of trails. Historically, the prayer has been broken up into the preface, our Father in heaven, and then six petitions or six things that we ask. Uh, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, and so on. And within this framework, you could do this, and I'd commend it to you, Take the preface one day, and then for the next six days, take each one of the petitions. So for a whole week, just focus on that, either the preface or one of the petitions, and think about what it's saying, and let it shape the way you pray. So, you know, our Father in heaven, just sit with that one day. What does it mean when you call God Father, or our Father, the Father who is in heaven? Uh, I think it was about five years ago, Jeff did this. So you may not remember, but he did it. And, uh, and I think that's great. Uh, I believe he preached one sermon on each one of these things. And that's a great way to look at the Lord's Prayer. What I want us to do this morning, what I want us to think about and ask is, what is the forest? So if, if these, each part of the prayer are like these trails, what's the forest? What's the big picture, the big theme Of the prayer. And I would argue that it is the kingdom. The kingdom, as you will see as we keep going through Matthew, it is all over. Matthew. This is what Jesus is bringing, announcing, showing, fulfilling through his ministry, through his miracles, through his teaching, through his death and his resurrection. Before he he even comes on the scene, in a sense, in chapter 3, John the Baptist is talking about the kingdom, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus, chapter 4, starts his ministry and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This passage in Matthew, uh, the Lord's prayer, is found in a section called the Sermon on the Mount. And that sermon begins with these Beatitudes where Jesus pronounces blessings, and they're bracketed by, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The more you read Matthew, you will see kingdom, 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 kingdom. There are really many legitimate ways that you could pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, but this morning I want us to think about the forest, to think about the big picture, the story of God's kingdom, a story that runs through the whole Bible. So two things that we're going to think about this morning. First, the story of the kingdom, and then the Lord's prayer in that story. So let's think about the story of the kingdom. If you were here with us last week, Jeff talked about the kingdom with these categories of king, community, and cause. We saw it in Matthew 4. Jesus begins his ministry. He is the king. He gathers this community of the disciples And he gathers them and sets them on the cause, the purpose, this mission of fishing for men. Um, But this kingdom that we're going to see again and again in Matthew, it, it starts all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. So if you think about Genesis 1 and 2, you have God, the great king, the creator. Here's a king, and he forms a community Adam and Eve. Human community in his image, and he gives them a cause. God says to them, Genesis 1:28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Now, I want you to just think about what if they would have done that? What if that would have happened? If they would have taken up that cause, that calling, and they would have gone into the world and it would have happened, you would have had this growing human community, you would have had this garden, right? Because they're placed in the garden that was ever expanding as more and more image bearers came into the world. And those image bearers continued to take up the cause that God gave, not only to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, but to have dominion, to subdue, to work and cultivate the garden, which is what God told Adam to do in Genesis 2.15. You would have this growing garden, this ever-expanding garden where human culture, where the arts and music, where technology and innovation and human civilization would have grown until it filled the whole earth with God's people living as, with God as their king and having fulfilled this cause and this mission. This, in a sense, is the vision of the kingdom. Now, we know that this didn't happen and you just look around the world and it's evident that that this is not the world that we live in. And that is because very early on into this project, we sinned. We turned from God. We rejected his kingship, which of course led to the distortion of the community and the forsaking of the cause. But God loves us and he loves this world and he is committed to the vision of this kingdom and bringing the fullness of this kingdom and it's going to happen And so if you just track on in the story a little bit, right, let's go to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Think about Abraham. God calls Abraham very similarly to how Jesus calls the disciples. He calls him away from security, away from what he knew, away from his plans and his cause. God as the king calls Abraham and his family, this community, to take up his cause. God says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to multiply you so that your offspring is more than the stars of the heavens. I'm going to bless you so that through you, all the nations are blessed. And you keep going in the story. This community grows and we go to the book of Exodus chapter 19. And the people of Israel now, they've been delivered from slavery. They've been saved by God. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God speaks to Moses these words, Exodus 19:5 and 6. Listen, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Here's the king and here's his community, Israel, and here's the cause. Keep my covenant, keep my laws. You're my treasured possession. You're my kingdom of priests. As you do this, as you embody and live out what it means to know me, all the nations are gonna come to know me. If you know the story of the Bible, this vision is never fully realized because Israel doesn't keep covenant. Israel sins. They recapitulate the story of Adam and Eve. They reject God as king. They worship other gods. They abandon his cause for their own and their community becomes corrupt. And of course, the tragic thing is that instead of blessing the nations, Israel is judged by the nations and by God. And as the Old Testament kind of comes to a close, even as the prophets are talking about God's judgment against Israel, there, is the, there are these promises of God's coming kingdom, this vision that must have seemed insane. And I think what we have to realize is that the people gathered around Jesus who are listening to him, who are hanging on his every word, who are right there with him, this is the story that they have in their minds And these are the promises they know. They would have known of a promise of a grand temple with this really interesting river that flows out from it and everything that's near the river just flourishes and it flows out until the whole earth is filled with God's glory. Even though while they live and they go to a temple that's nothing like that, they would have known of the promises that Jerusalem was in a sense going to be the center of the world and the nations were going to stream to it and they were going to come to learn of Israel's God and worship Israel's God, even though in reality, Jerusalem is like a rest stop in Rome's empire. They would have known of the promises of this king that was going to come, this king that was going to rule the nations, who's going to bring about universal peace, knowledge of God, setting to all things to right and dealing with evil, even though their own story from the last voice of the Old Testament to Jesus, which is about 400 years, has been a story of oppression from one nation after another. And there is no king on the throne and there is no peace and nothing's been set right and there is evil everywhere. Think about the Lord's prayer in that story. How many of us, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, do we have that big picture in mind? This cosmic story of the kingdom. I think it's easy for us, especially just the way our culture is, you know, very individualistic, that the Lord's Prayer becomes very individualistically focused or or merely just personal, focusing on my life or my needs. And while it's certainly not wrong to pray for yourself or your concerns or something like that, and the Lord's Prayer does lead us to do that, what's the forest? Like, what's the big picture? Think about the Lord's Prayer now in this kingdom story. So for example, think about how it begins, Our Father in heaven. If you think about the Lord's Prayer at all, or you've, you've meditated on that verse or prayed it before, my guess is that where most of us go is that because of Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection, and because he has saved us, we have this amazing privilege of calling God our Father, and we are his adopted sons and daughters. And that is true, and it is right, and it is wonderful. But there's actually more. Because in the first century, A son was an apprentice of the father. The son was in the family business. The son learned his trade by watching the father, by listening to the father, by doing the things that the father did. Now take that idea and just think about these words of Jesus in John 5, 19. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus is the Son who's in the business of his Father. He does what the Father does. He takes the Father's mission and he carries it out into the world. What does it mean for us to call God His fa- our Father? To call God our Father is not just a privilege, it is a calling. Every time we call God Father, every time we speak the words of this prayer, it is a reaffirmation, it is a remembering that all who call him Father, that we are apprenticed sons and daughters. It's in a sense re-upping, re-signing up again to learn from our Father, to follow our elder brother Jesus, to be those apprenticed children who are carrying out our Father's mission in this world. And if you look at the first part of this prayer, we see that mission, this kingdom vision in the first half. We could call it the kingdom priority, where we pray, God, would your name be honored? Would your worldwide kingdom come? Would your will be done here on earth like it is in heaven? We could summarize this. We are longing for, as we pray this, God's glory and his reign to become fully realized and evident to all. Seen in the light of this kingdom theme, think about just the second half of the prayer, just real briefly. We could call these kingdom needs, right? There are things that we need if we're gonna participate in this kingdom. We need our daily bread we have daily needs we have needs for our sins to be forgiven as well as to be the kind of people and to live in a kind of a community that embodies the the forgiveness of sins and that vision of the kingdom we have needs for protection against temptation and evil as we live in this world on this kingdom mission Let's think about what this means for us, and specifically what it means for our relationship to the world. So, perhaps some of us, our relationship to the world is kind of a hostile one. Maybe we have bought into this view of the world that it's us versus them, and the them is other people. And we've forgotten the words of Ephesians 6 that tell us that our battle is not against flesh. It's not against people, but it's against the spiritual powers of evil at work in this world. Or perhaps some of us just have a pessimistic or apathetic posture toward the world that we think nothing is ever going to change, and nothing I ever do is really going to change anything. So why? You see, what this prayer is meant to do is propel us out to drive us out into the world to participate in Jesus's kingdom as apprenticed children who are seeking to embody the life of the kingdom and have lives that are shaped by God's promises and this promised future that will come. And this is really, in a sense, what we could say that this is what it means to be a Christian, Here's a recent example of this. Uh, some of you I know are aware of our sister church in the city, Living Hope. In the last week, I, I received an update about their ministry. Here's a church that's in a very difficult place. It's in an a area of Chicago that there's, there's poverty, there's, there's violence, and they've experienced all the sorts of things that you could imagine if you know the kinds of things that have been happening in Chicago and in cities in our nation over the last several months. On top of COVID, there has been violence and there has been looting and suffering and deep hurt and anger. And yet this has not led them to cloistered fear or to withdrawing, but rather to engaging. So a few weeks ago, they reported about this, a few weeks ago, a 12-year-old boy was shot while playing in the park. He's thankfully going to be okay from from their report. But three gunmen ran out from behind a building and sprayed a playground with bullets. What did they do? They went to that playground and they prayed. In the midst of all the tension in the city with police and the protests, what did they do? They got together with another congregation And they brought snacks to the police station and they prayed with the officers. And this is a quote from their most recent newsletter. It was a beautiful way to show grace by those in our community who have had negative experiences with the police and a beautiful way for the police to show grace to some who have been marching against them. That is an embodiment of the kingdom. That is a picture of, of the coming shalom and wholeness that will happen that this church is embodying and people around see it. What about us? Our context is different. We're not in urban Chicago, but the calling to be apprentice sons and daughters is the same. The calling to, to live for the kingdom and the mission of God is the same. Here's something that we're encouraging everyone at Trinity to do this fall. Prayer walking. It's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, Walk around your neighborhood or your downtown area or if you actually still go to work and and that's where you spend most of your time, you know, walk around your office park or your office area. No one else has to know what you're doing, but just walk around and pray. Pray for the things that you see. You could do this by yourself. You could do it with with a friend. You could do it with someone in your community group. Um, Here's why we're encouraging this because we need to see our neighborhoods and our communities with the eyes of Jesus. We need to see these spaces where we live as the places where God has called us to mission. We need Jesus to shape our hearts We need to remember and care that even though it is much easier to shield it and hide it in the suburbs, that there are people all around us who are hurting, who are suffering, who are struggling, who are really angry, who have all sorts of struggles, whether they're lonely or their marriages are falling apart or their families are deeply broken and all sorts of people who do not know Jesus. Uh, Some of you have heard me uh, tell this story uh, before, but I'm going to tell it again because it's really just fitting here. Uh, It's the story of this girl named Abby Connor. Um, She was 20 years old, Wisconsin girl, and this was a few years back. Uh, She was on vacation with her family in Mexico, and she mysteriously drowned. They found her unconscious face down in the hotel pool. And by the time she was pulled out of the water, there was really nothing they could do. She had suffered irreversible brain damage. Uh, Now, Abby was an organ donor, and so she was taken to Florida, where the doctors kept her on life support until they could harvest her organs for transplant. Four of her donated organs were given to four different individuals and saved their lives. One, uh, the recipient of her heart was this man from Louisiana, and his name was Lou Mouth Jack Jr., 21 years old. He suffered a heart attack, and the doctors told him, you have 10 days to live. And then he received her heart, and he had life again. A few months after Abby's death, her father, Bill Connor, uh, went on a biking tour to raise awareness about organ donation and he establishes contact with this guy, Jack Jr., and he's going to go and meet this young guy who has Abby's heart. And it was 2017, Father's Day, the two of them meet. And the question that I think we have to ask is, if you're Jack Jr., what do you give to the father? What do you give to the father whose daughter's heart is in you and you're alive because she gave you your heart. Jack Jr. um, brought a stethoscope so that Abby's dad could listen to his daughter's heart in his chest. And there's this video where he's listening and he's embracing this man and he's just weeping. And I want you to think, about the gospel. Jesus died that you would have life. And that is not just a privilege. It is a calling. If you're a Christian, Christ is your life. He is in you. He has given you his heart. He has given you himself. And you are a child of the heavenly father And that is an amazing privilege, but it's also a calling to live as his apprentice sons and daughters in this world. And that is why we're encouraging this thing that might even seem a little weird, like prayer walking if if you've never done it before. It's why we're gonna meet tonight right out here at 6 p.m. and online at 8 p.m. to pray for this missional prayer gathering, to pray for our communities and our neighborhoods. Because if you're a part of, of this kingdom, if you belong to Jesus, you're called to live as a child of light in this world until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ where he will reign forever. Amen. Let's take a moment um, to pray. Perhaps if, where we feel convicted, where we need to confess sin, to ask for God's help, Uh, To remember his grace and his goodness to us. Let's pour our hearts out to him, and then in a moment, Jeff's going to lead us in a closing prayer. Let's pray.